Hi, I'm Sharon Davis, Chief Executive of Bing Enterprise, and welcome to Series 3 of Enterprising Mindsets, Minding Your Money. We'll be exploring the often overlooked role mindset plays in building financial capability and the benefits to be gained from understanding the impact our attitudes, beliefs and values have on our behaviours around money. I'm hoping we'll discover new ways to help young people build a money-related mindset and also to explore the contribution this could have in increasing social mobility in the future. My guest today is Paul Feeney, Chief Executive of Quilter, which is a leading provider of advice, investments and wealth management in the UK. Paul's a highly experienced entrepreneurial leader, having held various senior business roles in large international financial services businesses, including as Chief Exec of NatWest Private Bank and NatWest Investments USA Group Managing Director. Paul is Chair of the Quilter Foundation that has a mission to help young people overcome barriers to prosperity as a key part of Quilter's shared prosperity plan. And Paul is passionate about promoting an open discussion on mental health, both across the industry and at Quilter, where he has sponsored the Thrive campaign to support colleagues, including those impacted by the pandemic. And we'll talk about that campaign later. I spoke to Paul earlier today on Zoom. Paul, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to Minding Your Money. Delighted to, to be here. Paul, I'm really looking forward to us chatting about the work you do at Quilter and the foundation to support young people. And I'm really interested in your take on how financial services organisations like Quilter can help change the narrative around financial education and show it as an enabler of opportunity and prosperity rather than perhaps having a sole focus on reducing debt or exploitation. So lots to talk about. Um, But before we do that, I'd love the chance for listeners to get to know you a little, if I may. Um, We know mindsets often informed by our early experiences of the world. Research says that money habits and behaviours often stick with us for life and they're formed by the age of seven. So my first question, Paul, taking you back to growing up in Manchester, who and what were your early memorable influences that informed your attitude and mindset around money? I did grow up in Manchester. I would have to say my mum and my grandmum were my biggest influence, probably my biggest influences in all my life growing up, but certainly around this too. My parents divorced when I was very young and um, I lived with my mum in my grand's house, along with my two brothers. Um, And um, we didn't have a lot, but we were very happy and loving. And I always remember that once a month, the man from the Prue would come around to our house and he'd knock on the door and he'd come in and he would take, I'm never quite sure how much he took, but my grand would open a purse and she'd provide, give him some cash, you know, a few shillings and um, off he'd go. And um, I remember we ended up living on that, on my grand's pension, given that, as I say, my mum was a divorce in those days, you know, she was the one who was the breadwinner. Yeah. Um, with my gran and um i remember my grandmother saying to me you know put a little bit aside all the time even though you you don't may not need it now or you may be grudge doing it because in time it'll work for you and i remember that and i remember we all worked in our little house two up two down household i worked my twin brother worked my mum worked my gran worked until she was in her mid 80s um, really yeah she was what did the, she do well, she was, the, I guess, the forelady at a sewing factory. And uh, she was in charge of all the other, and it was ladies, mainly ladies who were, yeah. were making uh, shirts. 
you know, in um, wow. in in the city of Manchester, and she loved it, and she was you know highly loved and respected. But she always worked, so we 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 knew and we were taught if you like the value of money. It's hard to to make, and it's harder to keep. Put a little bit aside. And so a really strong work ethic there throughout. The, so it kind of runs as DNA and that importance of, of long-term saving right from the get-go. In a way, yes. And I always remember, I've got, no matter what I do, I've got to try and put a little bit aside. Partly it's understanding how to do that, you know, because mm. there is no man from the Prue around anymore. And for <laughs> listeners who are thinking, oh, I'm not sure, you know, how would you describe the man from the Prue? What was his job? What did he do? Well, basically, he, he went round door to door and collected money, which he then they invested for a pension. So long-term savings, basically, wow. that you, you couldn't touch until you needed it um, when you got older. And then it helped, you know, it helped you in hard times and when, you, when the money wasn't coming in. And um, so I'd, certainly at the time, I knew none, none of the mechanics behind it or what it was being invested in or how it was being invested. I just knew, I just learned the habit that you put a little bit aside. And in what ways do you think those early influences are stuck with you regarding your emotional relationship with money now? I suppose growing up never having much money is two things. One is you do value it because you see a lot of people that don't have it. Mm. We didn't have it. And secondly, there is a, not fear, but a sense of apprehension about, well, what if it, it wasn't there? What would we have done if it mm. wasn't for my grand's pension during those days? Mm. Um, what we you know, because Back, back then in the 1970s in Britain, we had inflation of 28%. Absolutely. We had three-day weeks, you know, a lot of the country unemployed, including mm. my mum, you know. And um, so really, I thought, gosh, if, it wasn't, if that wasn't the case, what would we have done? Mm. You know, so you, you grew up having a sense of realising the, the value of money and also a, set, a little bit of a sense of apprehension about, if you didn't have any, mm. and that's probably un- unnatural now at my point in my life, but you mm. you carry it with you in your in your DNA. Well, that's right. Even though your needs change, your mindset very often doesn't, does it? So oh, exactly, you know, exactly. And um, you know, people say to me, "Well, when will you retire, Paul?" And um, I, ca- I can't see I'll ever retire, you know, because um, is that the entrepreneur in you? Do you think? I think it's the Quaker in me. My mum ah, was right. Quakers and my father's side were Catholic. So it's been a case of, you know, work hard, work hard, or leave him alone, leave him alone, work hard, work hard, yeah. leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little bit schizophrenic. Yeah, kind of break, accelerator, break, accelerator. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you clearly were building for the future and understood the importance of building from the future early on. I know that you've taken that into Quilter. Uh, Quilter Foundation are very passionate about finding ways to support young people to succeed through both financial literacy and employability skills as part of your shared prosperity plan. Now, I know as chief executive of Quilter and also chair of the foundation, this is really important to you. Could you tell us a little bit more about why it is and what impact you're aiming to create? It is really important to me. So, a quilter, we've spent spending years on our purpose, which is to create prosperity mm. for the generations of the day and tomorrow. And the the uh, purpose of the foundation, which I'm very privileged to chair, is kind of the flip side of that coin. It's to help remove the barriers to prosperity for young people mm. in our society. 
And some of those barriers are around education. And as I think of myself, you know, mm. and some of those barriers are around education, just like helping uh, young people to understand and realize their potential, really. Mm. And around financial education, it sounds like a huge term, but it's an area where a little knowledge can go a long way. Mm. You don't mm. need to know all about compounding interest rates and, you know, capital markets theory and all that stuff. You just need, you need to have sufficient knowledge. Um, and it can, it can make a big difference because, you know, I know that <clears throat> doing that, you, there's two ways you can earn money. One is to work really hard and you should do that anyway. Mm. And the other one is to help your money earn the money for you. And I love that. I, lo- I love that about you. Why we believe there's a real potential here to change the narrative about around financial education, um, to show it more as an enabler of, of opportunity, uh, help you get on in life. You term it as prosperity, which is absolutely where we're heading it, rather than solely as a, as a means of preventing exploitation or reducing debt. How do you think that financial organisations like Quilter can contribute to... Um, bringing about that change in narrative so that it's focused much more on helping you get on? Well, I think, first of all, big corporations like, like ourselves have to first of all understand that after, la- after the last 10 years we've been through, and certainly the last two years with COVID and everything, if the company is all about just making profit, that company won't last very long. Who cares? Who wants to work for a company that just wants to make profit? Mm. Yeah, You want to work for... We get out of bed for a purpose. Uh, certainly, I get out of bed for a purpose. Mm. I want to work for, build, um, help lead a company that has got a bigger purpose. And if we've learned nothing over the last few years, is that that's what, what really matters. And by the way, if you do do that, guess what? You'll make profit too because you'll attract people. Mm. People see and can, can see through shallow companies and marketing campaigns and all the rest so work for for a business that wants to that has a has a proper purpose mm. and that is all about making a difference to people you know and people in our country making a difference and that's what i want to do and that's why we set up the foundation it's why we work with young enterprise it's why we work with my bank and, mm. and various other, other charities young carers we've mm. done a lot with around the around the country so that we can we can help make a difference, and it's just good business. It's not even mm. philanthropy. It's good business because you attract like-minded people, people who want to make a difference, and they'll put their heart and soul into it. And and by the way, our clients, you know, are, are the you know, nearly million clients now that we've got in, in Quilter, they all want to make a difference too. Some of them don't always know how to, but they want to make a difference. And if you can help harness that. Um, then you can you, you can make a difference to your own society, mm. but you can also make a big difference to your country. You can make a difference to yourself. I feel better about it every day when I get out of bed. So taking you back to that young boy in Manchester who was so focused on building a future and understood the importance of money in building a future, how do we flick the switch of financial education more towards how it can be an enabler and uh, a prosperity maker, really, you know, from your perspective? I think, first of all, big companies like ourselves have a duty to do that. Um, we, have to, we have to be about more than profit. And nobody wants to yeah. work for a company that's just about profit. And by the way, the young people listening to this, 
you know, if you go for an interview and the company tells you about all the profit they're making, walk away, go somewhere else. Um, because good companies these days realize they have to contribute to society. And we certainly realize that that at Quilt. That's the, that's the first thing. Have a higher purpose because that's what gets us out of it. Mm. And ultimately, I think what, what money does, it's an enabler. Money doesn't make you happy. I'm 58 years of age and I can tell you money doesn't make you happy. But it enables you to do things that, mm. do, that can make you happy. And one of the things it enables you to do is give that money away. Because ultimately, you only ever get to keep what you give away. I love that. Just, just, just tell me that again. Ultimately, you only ever get to keep what you give away. And it's what fulfills us. It's what fulfills us as human beings, helping our fellow man, our fellow woman, our fellow person. It fulfills us. And if you have money, you can do that. And that's why we set up the Quilter Foundation so that we can, we can make a difference and help. And we, you know, we think about it carefully, but it's why we work with Young Enterprise, and My Bank and Young Carers and, and, and the like, because we can make a difference. I can tell you every one of us who does that gains so much from it. You know, you, you just feel more fulfilled. You, that passion that you have, that humanity that you have, um, that also kind of moves across. I, I've, I've watched a number of your podcasts about you promoting good mental health, mm. both in your role at the Quilter and more generally across your industry. And, I, and can this, at this point, I really would like to just commend you, really, because your bravery and your honesty in publicly sharing your own mental health journey, I just found that hugely inspirational. But what, if any, role do you think that financial education has to play in supporting good mental health? Oh, I think there's a huge link between mental health and financial health, a huge link. I mean, at the root cause of most mental health issues is stress and anxiety. It's at the root cause. It doesn't always end up as the main cause, but it's at the root cause of a lot of mental health issues. And the fear of running out of money, of not being able to pay the gas bill, of being evicted, of not you know, wondering how you're gonna clothe your kids, no, I've been through all this. Many people, mm. it causes tremendous mental strain. So being able to understand a little bit more about finance, about um, just money um, and what you can do and know that even though you may be going through tough times, your money is there still working for you. Mm. And it, it, can, it can really help understanding how to deal with debt understanding how to balance a monthly budget. We're not talking about, you know, Rockefeller hedge fund stuff and all that. Mm. We're talking about some key financial understanding that can really take pressure off because there is a huge link between financial stress and mental stress. Mm. And Thrive is your employee wellbeing initiative, which I know you sponsor. Uh, so that supports people with their mental, physical, social, financial well-being. So clearly, Quilter feel there's a link between those areas. At YA, we also feel that young people would benefit from this holistic approach to life skills, particularly in school. What benefits have you found to your business of taking this holistic approach to supporting colleagues? 
oh, um, people feeling healthier, happier, lower sickness levels, uh, and just basically people feeling happier about the workplace. Because one of the things we don't do is we don't talk and open up about it. That's why I opened up about my mental health mm. issues that I've had down the years. I was silent about it for many, many years. It was almost a shame, something you didn't talk about. Eventually, the pain gets too, it gets more than the potential, what I felt, embarrassment about it. Mm. I thought, if, there's, if I'm going to do anything, why am I not talking about it? So I did. And when I opened up about it, I did a video called This Is Me. Mm, I've seen it. And it just gave everyone permission to say, hey, it's okay not to be okay. Because a lot of us, a lot of the time, it's not always, we're not always okay. Mm. And once you start talking about it, you can then start talking about why. And some people, you know, it could be for some people that it's just because they have got financial issues um, or financial difficulties. So that's when we then put in counseling sessions and advice sessions mm. for our for our staff um, so that they could get advice, free of, you know, free advice on, on what to do about it. And once people realize it's not just them, because sometimes worry, whether it's about debt or finance mm. or anything, it can be a suffocating place. It's a it's basically a room you go into that gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. So you have to open the door to that room and you have to be able to walk out of that room. And once you realize that there's so many other people who are occupying similar rooms, mm. we can all walk out and talk to each other. And then well, say, okay, we need help. The ability to put your hand up, particularly as a young person, and say, I need some help is a big, big thing. Mm. Well, you certainly um led by example in sharing your 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 personal journey and also for your sector as well, which traditionally isn't a place, is it, where people are open about their mental health issues. So again, it's a real massive testament to you, really. There's very little out there in terms of research linking financial capability with social mobility and that opportunity to get on in life, regardless of your starting point. At Young Enterprise, we believe there's a there is a link to, to explore. Um, what are your views on the contribution that financial capability can make to social mobility, if indeed you think there are any? Oh, definitely. And I'm a case in point. I mean, as I say, I grew up hugely incredible mum and, and grandmother. But, you know, a two up, two down terrace house, North, Man- North Manchester. Um, myself and my two brothers slept in one bedroom in one bed. Mm. And uh, my mum and grand slept in the other bed. Quite frankly, the starting to get an appreciation for first of all self worth, and my mom that came from my mum very much, mm. and she'd always say, you know, boys, we're here because of our circumstances, not our capabilities. You believe that when you're when you're that young, and it, you know, yeah. and it's proven to be true. Um, but then, secondly, seeking out and saying, right, I'm going to learn something about this, not huge amount, but just enough, mm. and then realizing. Okay, if you, know, if you can learn a certain amount of, about that, then yeah, it gives you an ability to to move and and it just gives you a bit more confidence. I think is the honest answer at that. It's not that you could honestly say. Certainly, when I was eighteen years of age, that I knew really anything about finance. I didn't know that much, but I knew a little bit enough to know that mm. you know money may not make the world go round. But it, it does keep it spinning. <laughs> mm. And you're right, you're so right, because that confidence to ask questions about money is yeah. key, isn't it? Yeah, the confidence to ask questions about it. Um, and then 
to take some risk. Yeah, everyone in life yeah. says, you know, oh, be careful about the risk. You know, don't take, don't mm. take. No, take risks. Okay, we are all in life in the business of reasonable risks, and the trick is to know what is a reasonable risk. Mm. So, no, how did you learn that? The first, how did you learn that? Well, you make mistakes. <laughs> you make you make some mistakes. You you do some things right, and you start, you know, you 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 start assessing. But um, but you've got to start, you know. And I think the, one of the one of the first things is to start. You know, you can't think your way to a different future. You have mm. to act your way yeah. to a different future. And the problem about acting. I.e., behaving your way to a different future, mm. you can be wrong. Yeah. Whereas, if you just try and think your way, well, nobody really knows whether you're wrong or not. <laughs> it's only inside yeah. your head. You know. <laughs> but if you act, then you, you're going to make mistakes. But that's what it's. That's what learning's all about. So start small, but do something. Was that a sliding door moment where you began to think actually? You know, the ability to take risk is a as a good thing. If is there any particular memories of times you you had done that early on where it paid off and made you think about that? Yeah, just even little things like um, my brother and I, we had some records. We didn't have much, but then we did, we went to secondhand record shops and bought records for a penny. And then we'd yeah. sell them, but then we'd use all the money we had, which wasn't very much, and then we'd sell them, but we'd sell them for more. And then oh right. wow, that worked. Yeah. Then more records, and then we sold them for more. Then we thought, well, forget records, let's do tape recorders. So we bought tape recorders and we sold them for less. <laughs> 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 and then all the, all the record money went down there. So we well, the, worked with the records, but it didn't work with the tape yeah. recorders. And then you start, okay, so what I mean, you have to start trying, acting. So, you know, you make money out of one, we could have just said, well, that's it, we'll keep that and spend yeah. it. But we invested it in a way, although we didn't really know we were doing that at the time, which is something else. That didn't go so well. We asked some young people what questions they might like to ask our podcast guests. And I have one here for you, which I might share if I may. What are your top tips for saving? That's from a young person. What, is your, what are your top tips for saving? My first top tip for saving is to start. Because so few people do it that it research or think about it, but they don't actually start. Okay. Now there's two ways you can save. One is in a bank account, you know, and if you look at the Bank of England today, I've just raised interest rates to 0.25%, mm. a quarter of 1%, you know. So in other words, if you put a hundred pounds in by the end of the year, they will give you a hundred pounds and 25 pence back. Not very much that, is it? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> a long time saving on that one. So another way to save is in the markets. The best way to do that, if you are an adult, is probably an ISA, individual savings, mm. an equity ISA. If you're under the age of 18, you can buy a, you can be a junior ISA. Junior. Okay. But you can invest in the stock market just by what I'd call a index fund, a tracker fund. You can go onto most platforms and you know and buy that. Or ask around. You can just put. You know, most of them will start at a you know five hundred pounds or something if you can do it. Mm-hmm. And but if you can get that's still a lot of money for for a young person. Either way, the first thing is to start. And even if you can't afford five hundred pounds, put five pounds in a bank account. And then to next start. Month, then the next month, put another five pounds in. And when you've got a hundred pounds, then buy the 
by the right. Answer. So something regular, even if it's small, but but take yeah. that action. Let's start. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for your incredible work to shine a light on the importance of employers investing in employers, employees' mental health and the brilliant work that you're doing to build young people's financial capability with, with my bank and with the Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us on Minding Your Money. You're very welcome, Chan. Delighted to have been here. Thank you. To hear more interviews like the one with Paul and Access Series 1 and 2, please do subscribe to Enterprising Mindsets on your favourite podcast service. We'd love you to leave a review as well, if possible. Thank you for listening. Listener.